Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. It's always wonderful to be invited to preach now and then in this service and wherever I can get it. Wherever I can get the gig, I'll take it. Will you pray with me? Precious God, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you. We pray, O oh God, that our hearts can be opened by this wonderful spirit that you sent to us at Pentecost. That our hearts would be wide open, ready to receive your word, to receive your spirit, and to be your church. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Long before Charles Dickens penned those uh, words, I think it was true, everybody could honestly have that kind of experience. But those words, before I even knew Charles Dickens did write them, were what I would describe watermelon season in Imperial Valley. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's one of my least favorite and most favorite memories of growing up in that little agricultural town. When we worked those fields, the temperature was usually about 110 plus, and we were knee deep in mud and swarmed by gnats and flies, and I'll tell you what, all those little watermelon things that you eat, somebody had to bend over and cover them with their own vines so they didn't burn, and that was me. <laughs> because I was the shortest, closest to the ground. So we would have to get up early in the morning, like around five o'clock because of the heat, and go out and cover those little tender melons so that they wouldn't burn and that we could harvest them and make some money. And um, that was horrible. That was the worst of times. It was those times when you wondered why people needed to eat such a fruit. But then at harvest time, when the melons had grown and they had become ripe, my dad would load up my sister and I and all the neighborhood kids in the back of his truck and we would cruise down where the watermelons had been harvested and there were always watermelons left. They were too small or they didn't make it into the machine or whatever. And I tell you what, we found some really good ones that were left over. And my dad would just stop the truck and we would all pile out and we would run through the fields and we would grab a little watermelon and we would break it open in the ground. And we would sit down and we would eat that red, beautiful melon until we thought we would burst. With melon juice running down our face and then we'd get back into the truck all sticky and a mess but having had the time of our lives having experienced that wonderful flesh of that melon. So good. And I want to tell you, the best melons, contrary to what the supermarkets may tell you, are the ones with the great big black seeds. The ones that are hardest to eat. They're the best ones. I'm just here to tell you. I never had any trouble swallowing those seeds at all. But I remember my grandmother with her stories of vines growing out of your stomach. <laughs> when you ate too many... So I had to limit my intake. You know, in a farming community, a story about seeds carries a curious amount of weight and meaning. You see, without the seed, there is no crop, no harvest, no means of survival. 
It all starts with the seed. This morning's scripture is from Luke 8, 4 through 8, is the text I'll be reading. Jesus is preaching, and in the middle of his preaching and teaching, he throws in some of these parables to an audience that will understand somewhat what he's talking about. But the parable is always left open-ended. The parable is always short and sweet. And the parable always, always has more meaning than a morality tale. So let's read this. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and were trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to remember a couple of things about a parable. A parable is a story that arrests your attention. Because there is a startling and uncommon nature of the action in it. Maybe it's, you recognize it, a farmer, a seed, and all of that, but then something about it makes you stop and go, what? And it uses ordinary elements and events with a twist so you are caused to think. So then I would ask you, what's the first thing that strikes you in this story? The first thing that strikes you, that catches your attention, that you say, what? It may not be obvious to you. It would be obvious if you were a farmer. So put your mind in that set. And I'm asking you, what's the first thing that strikes you? Just call it out. Yes, yes, it was just scattered. Absolutely. That is, that is, I have a hunch that when Jesus told this parable, there were some farmers going, well, that's just a waste of time, you know, and a waste of money. And I mean, farmers in Imperial Valley would have been saying that. The first thing that strikes me is, unlike a typical farmer, the, the sower is so extravagant, just taking hands full of seeds and throwing them out everywhere, not even caring where they went. So the focus of the parable is not on where the seed goes, is it? The energy of the parable is on the sower sowing the seed. So that's the first thing that, that strikes me is the extravagance of the sower and the sower acting like there's an endless supply of seed. Imagine that. As though the farmer's only interest was getting the seeds out. I imagine this sower throwing fistful of seeds with that wild abandon of somebody who, who is confident of the abundance and knows, really knows how it all works. I love that. The second thing that strikes me is that unlike a morality tale, and which this particular uh, parable and many parables are interpreted as morality tales, and some would interpret this as being, what kind of soil are you? Are you the thorny soil? Are you the parched soil? Are you, and so get yourself together and get your soil in shape. 
that would be the morality tale. But I, I want you to see how little attention is really paid. Jesus talks about the soil in passing. Now I understand that the rest of the scripture has Jesus saying, has people saying, well, what's the parable about? And Jesus answers them. I didn't attend to that, and I'll tell you why. Because for years and years and years, many biblical scholars and theologians have questioned how that addition got added on to Jesus' simple parable, where he explains it. That's not anything like he does in any other parable in the Bible. His parables are short and sweet and open-ended. And the rest of it goes on and is very closed, explanatory, and detailed. So I am of that personal opinion that the true parable of Jesus sits within the first four verses of this particular chapter. So that strikes me as so interesting that the story isn't about judging, evaluating, correcting, or transforming the soil. Jesus doesn't bring any of that into it. He doesn't say, repent soil. Instead, it's as though Jesus is telling us, you're going to run into these patches of soil. This is the way it is. You probably already have, and you know the trouble they can give you. The parable's starting point is not on the content of faith, but it's on its origins. God speaks. God sows. God creates. God empowers. And Jesus was prompted to tell this parable about the kingdom of God, because that's where all the parables point towards, is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is prompted to tell this parable to the crowds of people who are following him. And at this point in the gospel, you can imagine that everyone in that crowd who were following Jesus may have thought that they were receiving God's word in the depth of their hearts, that they were certainly fertile ground now receiving the word, receiving that seed. And at this point, everyone believes that they're fertile field and I wonder, is that where you're coming from as well? And it may be because after all, you're here. So did not the word fall on fertile soil? But here's the thing. By the end of the story, the same crowd that's following Jesus include Judas, the betrayer, Peter, the denier, and 11 who could neither stay awake or stay with Jesus through the darkest night. Here we begin to see that people are more complicated than good and bad, black and white. It's rarely, it's, it's rarely cut and dry within the human heart what motivates us, what moves us behind our actions. Likewise, the world of seven billion souls, people, we cannot pigeonhole them into the good soil and the bad soil. Soil Is it up to us to judge that? Neither can we categorize one another as mature and immature because that's, what, that's the code we use for a bad soil. Well, they're immature Christian. It's a code word, isn't it? When what we're really thinking is they don't really know. You know? I've used it myself. I've been, it's been used about me. I understand that, but we're so much more complicated than that. Our interior, who we are as human beings is so much more complex and our lives are not lived in a straight line. We know that. 
So what experience demonstrates is this, that yes, the season of our lives show us that varying degrees, there are varying degrees to which our hearts bear fruit. That's true. But our experience in life also teaches us that we endure seasons of life. Seasons of life when life has us by the throat and we're gasping for air. Seasons of life when our experiences have us choking with fear. Seasons in our life when we cannot heal the landscape from the thorny relationship, the twisted and parched hatreds and prejudices that live within us, the burned and defensive neglect of the soul. Our experience teaches us that that's part of our interior as well, that we live in those different places. But in spite of all that, in spite of the type of soil that you find yourself in, the seeds come raining down and fall in every nook and cranny of our lives and in the life of the world. Any place they can fall, they fall. And while it's true that this particular parable focuses on the sower and the seed, it's also very much a story about hearing. Because you notice that in, throughout the whole, in the midst of it, in the midst of the parable. We're drawn into the story and a relationship is formed because we hear. And so that relationship comes out of between the seed and the soil. In each instance, the seed lands, the word is heard, but that's not the end of it. It doesn't always mean the seed transforms. It doesn't always mean it takes root. God's word reaches deep into our human soul and we, all people, by grace alone and through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, all of us are the agents of listening and understanding and responding and doing. The problem is that some of us, and in various times in our life, embrace the message of salvation, but then we fail to nourish and nurture our response and practice of living the word. In verses 11 through 15, Jesus identifies the sown seed with the word of God. You can go back and interpret this as we are the seed. You can interpret this as the church is the seed. But that's the beauty of the parable. It leaves it open for us to come to it in our own setting. As a seed falls on various types of soil, it results in various yields. And the word of God is heard by people who respond to it in various ways. The danger to the seeds are associated with obstacles that hinder the growth of the word within the hearer. In each case, the word falls on listening ear, but in most cases, healthy fruit doesn't appear. But let's step back from that for just a moment. Because we can get lost in ourselves in this parable, and there may be a larger story at play also. We can, we can look at this certainly as a cautionary tale about nurturing and nourishing our individual interior and exterior. That's one way to look at it. But very rarely it, are we being addressed as individuals in the scriptures. We take it individually, and it's meaningful individually, but more than that, 
Jesus is speaking to community. Perhaps there's a larger story to be told, and, and this time it's told to the whole body of Christ. So look around you for just a moment. Look at the people around you. So if this story were for all of us together, rather than as individuals, we could pose the same question towards a fertile environment of this community. The questions of what kind of soil am I might give way to how can we as a community of Christ be good soil for the widely scattered word of God, seeded and entrusted into our care. Do you see what I'm saying? The seed has been thrown to every nook and cranny. There is no place that the seed is not out there. So how can we be the fertile field in which to nourish and help that seed grow. You know, if we can put aside the question of salvation, because we're Christians, we've been saved. So if we can set aside that and replace it with questions of Christian welcome and Christian nurture and discipleship and growth, how can we be that place? How can we provide a community where the love of Christ takes deep roots how can we provide respites of living water for those who have hit rock, are parched and withering? How can we quote Jesus, let anyone with ears to listen hear, unless we give our ears over to the sower and go out to the places where the seeds have been cast? You see, the seeds have not just been cast in this room or in the sanctuary room or in our courtyard or in our gatherings. The seed has been cast out into the world. So we're invited to go into the world as farmers. Come, cover watermelons with me. Let's go out together. And you in this particular service are becoming more and more mindful of that. It may just seem like a fun thing to do to have a backyard pick, uh, fellowship, backyard church service. It's not. It's going out into the world. It may seem just like a good thing to do to clean up Arroyo Seco riverbed. It's not. It's going out into the world. When we go out into the world as farmers, we're looking for the seeds that God has already planted. We're not going out to plant seeds. We're going out to look for a place that needs water, that needs encouragement, that needs held. The sower went out to sow the seed and he threw it everywhere. He didn't care where the seed went. He didn't seem to care whether it fell on the road or in the rocky places or in the briar patches. The sower just threw it to the winds and let it fall where it may. If God is a sower, sowing the seed, which is God's word, and the characteristic of God's sowing is God's extravagant abundance and generosity. We can look and we can see seeds everywhere. God's word spoken incessantly, prayer going on. God's living word, Jesus Christ, rooted in the Christian heart. 
the words and actions and intentions, creative happenings in God, everything that you see around you, that spirit are those seeds blooming, just like watermelon coming out of your stomach. They're falling all over the place. They're growing and blooming and they're bearing the most delicious, beautiful fruit whose juices run down your face and leave you with sticky hands. But just like all those summers ago for me, there comes a time when the fruit needs harvested. It can't just be left in the field. Because if it's left in the field by itself, do you know what happens to fruit? Yeah, it rots. It's no good. It has to be harvested. And I won't lie to you and tell you that it's not hard work. It is. It's work that doesn't, that I won't tell you that it doesn't try and test your spirit because you're just not sure, is this working? Why, you know, is anybody listening? I, I, I'm not sure what to say. We just heard the Holy Spirit gives us a place, a way. I won't tell you that it doesn't require stamina and determination and focus. Just like when I was going down those fields, I had to watch where I was going or I tended to go in diagonal across this way. Because after all, one watermelon looks like any other watermelon. So if you keep your head down to the ground, you don't see the row ahead of you. But if you lift your face up, you can see further. I won't tell you that you won't get sunburned or injured from time to time. But I will tell you this, that you can trust the sower. More than that, you can trust the sweet fruit of this sacred seed. It all starts with the seed, and the seed is really good. Really good. So, all I can say is it was and is the best of times, and it's the worst of times. Why? Because the workers are few, but the harvest is plenty. Amen. Please pray with me. God, we hear you. We hear your stories and your truth. We acknowledge that sometimes we have a sense of scarcity, a privacy that doesn't belong to us. You call us to be generous and extravagant as you are. You call us to go out into the world as you did. You call us to reflect your desire and love for this world, help us, O oh God, to do just that. Help us to be the church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.